somehow you slide we would never get around you to mentioning wars, depression, big business government, bigotry. Your world is dying, Dad, and it's burying itself in the dry rot of imperialism and colonialism. When the moral fiber of the United States and the economy collapses under the pressure of competitive coexistence, it will be your responsibility, comrades, to purge the minds of the reactionary Americans. The anarchist seeks only ruin and destruction, and he rides a tidal wave of terror. I guess we're anarchists. You know, if the cops come, the cops come. You're listening to the Pages Against the Machine podcast. This is Amir from Pages Against the Machine. You're checking out our second podcast. I am so grateful. You're a true friend, a true comrade. So we're just going to dive right back in where we left off. Uh, We're covering Donald Trump's stupid-ass speech in front of Mount Rushmore on July 3rd, 2020. So we ended on the last episode right after Donald Trump had talked about far-left fascism and how far-left fascists are taking over the United United States, which isn't a thing because fascism and communism or socialism are polar opposites. You can't be far left and far right at the same time, just like you can't be blind while having great eyesight or have free, open, unregulated neoliberal markets and overall equality in society. All of these things are contradictory by nature. What he intended to say was that the left is totalitarian, an idea that is extremely popular among those on the right in today's day and age. Trump can't even say the word totalitarian or totalitarianism, so he just substitutes incorrectly the word fascist or fascism for that word. Because, well, he is an idiot. A dangerous idiot, but an idiot nevertheless. Although he and the right have finally caught on to our deep, dark leftist secrets, our secret magical rituals and our hand signals and our sleepovers and our plots. So comrades, we better look out and keep it underground. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, the right currently is using language to scare the living shit out of all of the Trumpers, the Trumpists, the Trumpansies, the MAGA crowd, the MAGA cult because that's what it is. The truth is, Donald Trump's motto should be make America scared again, because he runs a campaign based off of exploiting people's fears, particularly white, middle class, lower middle class Americans. And the way that they do this is by using language. It's through language. And the older I get, the more and more interested and fascinated I become with semiotics, linguistics, and language, and the study of language. Because the truth is, is that language is the most powerful thing that we human beings have, it can be argued, because it allows us to communicate, to understand, to make representations of our thoughts, ideas, and the world around us, and to create as close to a consensus as we can on reality. And because language is so powerful, when it's used to manipulate, it's extremely dangerous. And we see Trump and the right subverting language time and time again to keep people fearful and to keep people under their control. Through language, we we have the ability to deceive and to lie. And we're seeing this in America more and more, particularly in the media and the political narrative and dialogue in this country. Words are used continually in a way that is stripped from their original meaning and devoid of any form of consensus behind that word or what that word is referencing or signifying. 
Okay, so words are are being turned into propaganda, empty propaganda to continually scare people and keep them under control, but also fundamentally starting to destroy and chip away and degrade the consensus on reality and history. And we see this in particular in the United States, in how the media and the American spectacle takes words removes the subtext behind those words and, and uses them as propaganda. One of the words that, that is used more than anything in our country right now in the United States is the word liberal, for example. So the word liberal ties into an economic and political thought derived from you know the Enlightenment and the French Revolution, free open societies and free open markets, but what makes liberalism, the theory of liberalism, more of a right-wing ideology than it is truly a left-wing is because it values one thing above pretty much everything else, the freedom of the individual to own private property. Keep in mind that the word private property is nearly synonymous with the idea of capital, whether the property be physical, such as houses and lands and factories and businesses, or whether it be financial, such as stocks and investments, wealth and assets, with as little outside governmental regulation, restriction, or control as possible. That property inherently has its own rights, given how much it is fundamentally valued and prioritized in the liberal society. The late American intellectual and social critic Gore Vidal just totally lays it out there. He stated that there is only one party in the United States, and that party is the property party. And it's got two right wings, Republican and Democrat. So despite what Fox News and all of the right wing media and the whole right wing blogosphere and everything will have you believe, the truth is, is that both Republicans and Democrats are, well, they're fucking liberals. And we've all heard it, that generic, played out cliche that voting in the United States is, it's like just, you know, voting for the lesser of two evils, man. Yeah, okay, well, what the fuck is the evil? Well, I'll tell you what the evil is. The evil is the neoliberalist capitalist platform that both parties support. <laughs> As you can tell, for some reason, that, that statement, it, it annoys me. It's not that it's wrong. It's just it really frustrates me because it, it's so unfocused and it really serves no purpose nor really starts a dialogue it's an end to itself it's just like well they're evil and so i'm just gonna self-righteously not participate in the system and the problem with that is that you were then conceit you are participating in the system you're conceding all of your power to the very worst people on that part of the political spectrum which we already don't like to come in power and please understand I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to bring about a better world or the vision that we want for society as, as leftists through, you know, the current American electoral political system. But it's just one small tool that we have in, in working on the much larger project of building a new world. You know, it's one specific tool for a specific function. If you're building a house, you're going to need a bunch of different tools and a bunch of different strategies and knowledge. 
okay? You can't build an entire house with a saw, but you're going to need to use a saw when shit needs cut, okay? And trust me, there's a lot of shit that is going to need cut along the way. Trump's presidency, for example. So if you're somebody that is truly serious about building a new world and not just talking about it, then it's time to, to learn to play the game, okay? If you're the type of person that wants to just try and build an entire house with a saw, well, <laughs> good luck. You know, we on the left need to get so much better at political strategy and political maneuvering and political calculations. Look, the paradox for us is that our beliefs are founded, they derive from idealism, and that is a good thing but we always run the risk of becoming too self-righteous for our own good, okay? You may be an anarcho-communist, and the world that you want obviously isn't going to come through voting for a Democrat or Republican. We get that. No one's saying that it's going to. But in your reluctance or your hesitancy to vote because it, it's not in alignment with your true values— that's a problem. You're identifying too much with a specific maneuver or tactic. You know, after somebody gets done building a house, you know, a carpenter, they don't say, hey, I'm, I am this hammer now. I am no longer the person that used the tool. I am that hammer. I am that tool myself. Okay, so look, you can still be an anarcho-communist and use the strategy despite how small it is, of voting specifically against Donald Trump, because even though it's a very small, small tool, it stands in alignment with one of your values, which is being an anti-fascist and stomping those weeds out when they start to take hold, okay? And that doesn't mean that you're a sellout or even a hypocrite. Instead, what it says is, hey, I'm about changing the world by any and all means necessary, no matter how big or how small or how pertinent to a very specific point in time that, when looking back in retrospect, may be a little bit different than what you truly believe or what your overall ideals are. And so we on the left need to get really good again at political strategy and organizing and politicking in general because we used to be awesome at this. Keep in mind that every revolution, be it one from the right or one on the left, started, came about solely because of the sheer brilliance and strategy of those that brought, a, uh, brought about that revolution in their politicking, in their maneuvering, in their strategizing, in their consolidating power, in, in just how they were able to, to seize power and control or, you know, remove those in power um, from their control over society. Look, I, the hardest part of podcasting for me, I realize, is that I start talking about something to, to make a point, and then I just go way off in that tangent because I get all fired up and excited and want to explore that. So I was, you know, this, we're now talking about whether we should vote 
Trump out of office versus, you know, what we were talking about, which was the word liberal and how the idea of words being stripped from their meaning and used as propaganda, you know, by the spectacle. And we're going to go, we're going to get back there. We're going to just, you know, we're going to hit the brakes of the car and just go back in another direction and hop back into, into that. But I know that there's a lot of you listeners out there that are pissed and they're like, you know what, Amir, you're full of shit. I believe that we need basically to let the whole thing come crashing down so we can build a better world. You know, we need to let the ship actually sink before we can get on a new boat, you know? And, you know, I get that. Like, I have that sentiment, too. But I, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you, and I want to really dig into this in a separate podcast episode, okay? But basically, my argument for that is a lot of people that I know that are stating that and that are standing for that are also, hate to break it, typically more well-off white kids from middle-class backgrounds that will be, for the most part, a little further removed from the actual damage and, and all the suffering that will come about from that. So in a way, you have to really understand and check your privilege when you make that argument, okay? Once again, I I share some of those sentiments, trust me. I just, I really like to debate and talk and analyze and figure out what I'm believing, what's wrong with the things I believe, what's wrong with the things that other people are proposing, okay? But that's something that I see very often, a bunch of, you know, sorry to say this, just, you know, middle-class white kids that have become radicalized and they're just like, hey, let's just, you know, let's let, let's let Donald Trump win a second, third, fifth, sixth term and lead America into, you know, a racial war because that way then we can, from the ashes, build something new. Okay, but I see that as problematic because once again, you don't have as much skin in the game. You know, there's a lot of us, if Donald Trump wins a second term, where you think it's going to accelerate, you know, change and a revolution in whatever direction you want. But the truth is, is at the same time, you're probably not the one that's going to be bearing the biggest burden of that, you know, because there's a lot of us that that face existential crisis in the United States because, you know, because of our, our ethnicity or our citizenship status and things like that, if Trump were to win a second term. And once again, this is a whole episode or two that we could just talk and debate about the merits of Trump winning a first term and second. And at, at times, I've, I've honestly argued for both sides, okay? Because on one hand, I'm expecting the entire economy to collapse within the next four years, and I, I kind of prefer that to be on Trump's hands, so that way they can't blame the left for wrecking the economy, and enough people that voted for Trump and supporters of his will finally wake up, and then we'll be able to put away Trumpism you know, in the scrap bin of history once and for all. Or that if he wins a second term, you know, stuff will get so messed up that it will accelerate the likelihood of, you know, a, a revolution of the people. But one of the things that you really have to understand about revolutions is that they're a gamble. That a revolution is really, you're rolling the dice because they can go either way. They can go, you know, the right could win or the left could win irregardless of who starts the revolution. And we see this time and time again throughout history. Look at the Russian Revolution. Once again, it was a broad coalition of, of just people generally on the left, and there were far more Mensheviks, but the Bolsheviks ended up seizing power. 
you know, we even see this in 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 the Iranian revolution. Something a lot of people don't realize or know was that when the Iranian revolution kicked off, the protests weren't just just only the religious people, the people in favor of the Ayatollah and the theocracy. There were all kinds of leftists involved and wide swath of society that were all allied together originally to get rid of the Shah. Okay, so the whole point that I'm trying to make here is that when revolutions happen, you usually see a large variety of different groups with different ideas and ends coming together to dispose of whoever is in power. And so that's just something that you need to understand. And so it's like if if you're somebody that believes, okay, yeah, Trump needs to win again and then stuff gets so bad, we'll finally have a revolution. It's like, okay, maybe that's going to happen. But at the same time, that revolution could be a gamble because we don't know who is going to end up coming out on top of said revolution. So my point is it's probably better to vote in November and get Trump out of office so that way we can then start pressuring the Democrats and and pushing them out and creating space for a real leftist movement in this country to finally take hold. And so this is that point where I hit the brakes of the car and we actually do circle back to where we were before I went on a 10 minute tangent in a completely different direction. We were talking about the word liberal and how the word liberal, like many other words in our society, is misused to create the illusion of choice and and major difference between American political parties. Both the Republicans and the Democrats are just different heads of the same snake. But make no mistake that one of those heads has fangs that are far more venomous and toxic to this country than does the other. Okay, so there's no no equivalency there. But we see this word liberal, the reappropriation of it from its original meaning um, to, to the theory and philosophy behind it. We see it being used to create and propagate this this made up idea of there being a culture war which, once again, just serves those in power to keep people divided. Noam Chomsky has a, a fantastic quote where he just calls this out. And the quote is, The smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion, but allow very lively debate within that spectrum. Okay, that was a horrible impression of Noam Chomsky. I'm sorry for that. I just couldn't resist. Anyway, what he does with that is he totally explains and lays out the paradigm of the United States. We have a very limited spectrum of acceptable opinion, basically that which supports neoliberal capitalism. And then the media creates the illusion of, of this, you know, this diverse, acceptable spectrum of opinion and debate by by propagating and creating this culture war that's saying one side is liberal and the other side is conservative and ignoring the fact that in reality they're both liberal. Okay, so it's all illusionary. And this is where Donald Trump derives so much of his power from, from this fictitious culture war in which language is used incorrectly and manipulated. The right, historically, derives so much power from the subversion of words and the truth behind them, their meaning, their context. Look at things today like this idea of cultural Marxism, which isn't a thing. Look at how Hitler used the, the word socialism, 
national socialism to represent his fascistic ideology that hated Marxism. So think about Joe Biden, status quo Joe, and how he's represented and talked about on Fox News. On one hand, we know that Joe Biden is honestly, he's a conservative Democrat. His entire career is when you look back on it, you would think like, oh yeah, why, why was this dude not a Republican? But now, because he's running against Donald Trump and state TV's candidate, they are, on one hand, they're calling him a radical liberal, which is laughable. I, I, I just love that term. Um, it's so funny to me. But on the other hand, they're calling him a communist and calling him, you know, an anti-fascist, which, you know, hopefully every politician in America is anti-fascist. But they're, you know, they're trying to equate him with being like the ringleader of Antifa. OK, and none of this stuff is true. They're just throwing shit out there and allowing it to land where it does, knowingly subverting the truth behind all of those words and all of the context and stuff behind that language. And that, you know, once again, that is just part of their strategy. If you call Joe Biden a communist enough, a lot of your viewers who don't really know too much about communism are going to assume that Joe Biden is actually a communist. And because he's also a Democrat, all of the other Democrats are communists too. And it's just absolutely insane. You know, there's a lot of people out there right now that think status quo Joe is ready to throw a Molotov cocktail in your grandmother's kitchen for being, you know, a fascistic bootlicker. And it's just, it's patently absurd. Joe Biden is as much of a communist as Donald Trump is a, a human being with a brain. Okay, so we see words being completely removed from context and being used as propaganda, being used as a tool to, to label, write off, and brand political opponents and just people in general. So Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders is always facing uphill battle in his political career, specifically because he has, or he still does, I'm not 100% certain, identified as a democratic socialist. So right away, he's giving, he's giving that propaganda machine the spectacle something to use against him right out of the gate by saying he's a socialist. Once again, the word socialist in the American psyche, due to all the Cold War propaganda, is completely completely associated and inseparable from communism okay those of us that listen to the show we understand the nuances of political thought and leftist thought and leftist politics so we understand yeah there's 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 <laughs> there's a huge spectrum there okay somebody that is an authoritarian communist versus someone who's a social democrat um, and on their best day a democratic socialist yeah they're definitely definitely not the same people and very far from each other but most people don't know that Obviously, this is the United States. Unfortunately, we don't invest in education, and it's better to keep people ignorant in regards to politics, so that way they can be manipulated. Anyway, Bernie comes into the game, boom, all of a sudden, dude's a communist. It's amazing he's been able to get this far, okay? Um, I, it, when, I was, when I was 15 years old, you know, I was really discovering democratic socialism and, and things like that, and I, you know... To for if you would have told me then that about 15 years later, a little over 15 years later, a democratic socialist would be the most beloved politician in America, I would have been like, uh, I don't know, that sounds pretty cool, but uh, we live in America, so I doubt it. 
So yeah, fuck yeah, progress. Way to rock it. Way to get it right for once. Anyway, Bernie Sanders, anytime he enters the political arena, he is going to be labeled a communist. The irony is that Bernie Sanders isn't a communist. We know that his policies, ironically, would probably save capitalism from the complete decline and decay that we're seeing right now. Okay? But they're going to label him a communist. And you need to understand that the word communist and communism in the United States are used in a way that doesn't reflect Marxism or true theoretical communism. Instead, the word communist and communism are just a word that represents a brand, a brand identity, an idea of what something is based upon how it's intended to be sold or not sold. So the word communism, its brand in this country, is intrinsically linked to all of the abuses of authoritarian communism of the past 100-some years. In the United States, the brand of communism is, is seen as a brand, a complete failure, a complete disaster, that there was nothing that ever worked out or was good about the system or that capitalism could learn from that system. Once again, I'm not a tanky, I'm not an authoritarian communist, nor am I a Stalinist, okay? But you have to understand that it depends on which metrics you're looking at to judge the, the success of communism. You could see that Russia, a complete backwards country, becoming a world superpower within mere 40 years and on par with the United States that had been had been slowly developing over, you know, since 1776 to get to that point. For Russia to just go from nothing to that point in 50 years, you know, that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing. That is successful. Once again, I'm not arguing in favor of that. There was a horrible, terrible human cost to that, okay? But it just it depends on what metrics you're looking at things. In this country in particular, the brand of communism is one of complete disaster, failure, humanitarian crisis, and basically just authoritarian tyranny. You know, if you go to Russia, their brand, how they interpret communism is, is significantly different than what, how we do here. And given that the word socialism in the United States is completely inseparable and linked to just authoritarian communism, anytime you even reference the word socialism in this country to the mainstream public, you're signifying Joseph Stalin and Pol Pot and gulags and collectivization and famines. And no matter how much your political beliefs defer or you oppose those things or those the political systems that led to those atrocities, you're facing just an insurmountable challenge in just reaching people in this country without being feared. And because Bernie Sanders identified at one point, maybe he still does, I don't know, as a democratic socialist, and we're aware that communism and socialism have so much baggage here in this country, it instantly allows a spectacle, the media, and the dominant culture here to just totally exploit that fact that there's that baggage and brand him as somebody that's dangerous or crazy or whose ideas should be mocked or ridiculed. Now, Let's say Bernie Sanders was an anarchist instead and was really into Bookchin, read a lot of Bookchin, and was into his ideas of democratic confederalism, okay? And let's say Bernie Sanders was running for president as, you know, an anarchist. 
I'm aware of the paradox there. Just hear me out, okay? So if Bernie Sanders ran as a straight-up anarchist as part of an anarchist party, yeah, I get it, okay? Anyway, if he did that, he probably wouldn't get very far. You know, the media would link Bernie Sanders with every, you know, early 19th century propaganda of the bombing and attack and everything and, you know, pretty much say that Bernie Sanders wants, you know, uh, sex and violence and anarchy in the USA and just stupid shit, okay? And that's what they would do, and they'd be able to do it, and they'd be effective at it. However, let's say Bernie Sanders was deep down an anarchist and wanted to bring about an anarchist change revolution in this country, but instead he ran under the guise of being a democratic confederalist. Bam! Now we have half the racists in the South about to vote for anarchists because they hear the word confederacy, confederate in there, and they're like, holy shit, this is awesome. Okay? Most Americans would hear that and be like, wow, that totally sounds like something that was in the Constitution or holy shit, that was probably Thomas Jefferson's second line in the Declaration of Independence because those words carry connotations that are not linked and do not carry the baggage that a word like anarchist or anarchism does, even though democratic confederalism is derived from a one-time anarchist thinker, Murray Bookchin. And so what it does is it completely denies the spectacle, the ability to exploit connotations and baggage of the word anarchist. And it allows, you know, Bernie Sanders in this hypothetical presidential race to be a lot harder to attack for his leftist views and political beliefs, which we all know are extremely vilified by the establishment in this country. Advertising and marketing manufacture consent in this country, and brands are a huge part of that, the brand identity, the idea of something. So here's a great example of a brand just being straight up stolen. So the, the right wing in America, the right wing libertarians, which really should be called the propertarians um, because they're all about private property, and that's, you know, that's the basis of their worldview— they straight up stole the word libertarian, which in Europe referenced and was a rebranding of anarchism and anarchist thought for themselves. Okay, so the libertarians in America straight up stole the brand identity of anarchism in Europe for their own right wing agenda. Think about it. Americans are going to get in line behind something that is, that is a reference to liberty. You know, we love this idea of freedom and everything. So it's much better marketing to sell your ideology off of freedom and liberty than it is property. See, the right is really good at branding and framing and naming things. So either we need to get a lot better at that, or we just need to start stealing stuff and, and sabotaging. Think about it. This sounds crazy, but what if we just started running far-left candidates as Republicans, it would be hilarious to us, but it would also help us win and sabotage and take control of the spectacle. Keep in mind, a lot of people that identify with the brand of being a Republican or a Democrat, they don't really understand or, or care too much about the politics, but more just the brand sold to them by this fake culture world in the media. For example... Donald Trump spent his life basically as just a liberal, a liberal Democrat. And then he came into the Republican Party espousing a bunch of ideas that weren't related to, you know, Republican economics. 
and just took over the party and took all of the Republican base and voters with him, even though he showed up with a bunch of ideas that weren't really grounded in what the Republican Party has been since Reagan. And so it's crazy, but it's worked. So why don't we start going into uh, red counties and red states and, and show them what truly being red means? So we just need to subvert the whole paradigm and sabotage the whole spectacle and all of the political parties. If, if words don't mean anything and if the media uses that idea of words not meaning anything for their own propaganda, then let's just that's the game and let's play the game better than them. Let's take that and turn it in our favor. Can you imagine if if AOC ran as a as a Republican and won, had the same ideology and everything, but just ran as a Republican? Either Fox News would have to fall in line behind her because they care more about the brand than they do the ideology and what's behind it, or they would have to start attacking her as a Republican and attacking the Republican Party, which would be sabotaging itself, talking about how they've been infiltrated and how nobody can be trusted in the Republican Party. And some Republicans are real Republicans. So obviously, you know, what I'm proposing, there, there's a level of humor to it for sure. But at the same time, how, you know, I think we really need to start thinking about how we can start dismantling and turning the spectacle against itself. That's something we're going to talk more about in the podcast. But we're going to cut this one short. We're going to cut it here, uh, specifically because, unfortunately, I've had some serious technical issues in, in going between different software programs uh, for the creation of of the podcast. And sadly, I lost a bunch of work that I've done. And I've been, you know, working really hard to kind of make up for all of it. So the way that I'm going to release these are going to be a little bit different than I had originally intended. Uh, we didn't actually really get back into the speech of Donald Trump so much. Um, but, you know, the next episode, we'll, we'll go right back into where he's talking, because I actually I have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, in regards to what he says. And even though that there's been a little bit of time that has passed since, a lot of what he talks about is what we're now seeing happen from him sending, you know, federal agents to protect monuments and to bust protesters and other things. So it's actually, it's very relevant still in what we're seeing now and what this late stage, you know, Trumpian presidency has, has devolved into. You know, I really just wanted to get something out to all of you. I know that because, you know, the huge technical upheaval that I've had, where I lost just a ton of my work, you know, I've been trying to recover from that. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, you enjoyed this show for what it was. And I'm doing everything I can to re rebuild the shows that I had and bounce back from, you know, from that, that loss right after my launch of the podcast. So I, I appreciate your support. Um, Please, you know, follow, subscribe to the podcast, share it. Uh, the more support that I get, the more I'm committed and, and the more, you know, I'll keep my chin up um, and just keep trying to move forward with the show and not dwell on, you know, kind of the little upheaval that I've had that is, you know, really kind of prevented me from posting. And so thank you so much for your patience. I, I'm working, you know, every day on more and more podcasts to to put out there. So just keep an eye out. I'll always drop a notice on Instagram when something's about to come out or is coming out. And I just once again, I'm so grateful for all of your support. 
Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting me. And I'm looking forward to making just really great podcasts continually for you all. The song we opened with was Excess by The New Candies. And the song we're closing with right now is Download by Mundo. Totally terrorism. Totally terrorism.